Well, I'm going to talk about an aspect of worship this morning. It's an aspect of worship that uh, don't probably talk about often enough. We don't stress it enough because of the spiritual implications. You know, God created us to be worshipers, and the totality of our life is to be worship. In Romans, it tells us what he wants from us is a sacrifice, a total sacrifice of our life as an act of worship. Everything that we do. And we as Christians should know, usually we espouse it, that everything that we have or we are or that's been created belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. So the title of my message this morning is Honoring the Lord with our wealth. There are so many things that we can talk about how we need to honor the Lord. We need to honor the Lord with our time, with our talents, the energy that we have. All of this, all of this is part of it. But it's interesting that in the scriptures, God talks to us over 2,000 verses dealing with money, wealth. And almost all of them, but not all, except for the very few that are encouraging us how to handle it, they're almost all warnings and cautions about the trap and the snare that money and finances can be. I'm going to read a scripture. The text this morning is going to be in Proverbs. Chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. And notice a connection between 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight or he will direct your path. Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will, be brim, will brim over with the new wine. Proverbs 3, 5 through 10. Proverbs, if you're not real familiar with the book, Proverbs is one of the books in the Bible that's thrown into this category that's called the wisdom books or the wisdom literature in the Bible. And the focus of these wisdom books is to instruct man, in the generic, man and woman, to instruct human beings and in the ways of the Lord. How we should live according to the ways of the Lord to be a blessing unto Him and to be really presenting ourselves as an act of service and worship. The book of Proverbs, in particular of the wisdom books, is a collection of teachings from a man by the name of Solomon. According to the Bible, pretty smart guy. Like the wisest man that ever lived, type of smart. And it's a group of his writings to his son. Trying to instruct his son. Son, this is how we should live. To honor God. To bring glory and honor to him. The life and the instruction that I'm giving you, when you take it and apply it to your life, it will bring great blessing into your life and it will bless and honor God. 
This is what the book of Proverbs is. Really, how to live. And it's applicable to us just as much as it was applicable to his son, Solomon's son. You know, in, in our natural world, there are natural laws that are universal. For example, one of those natural laws is having an impact on every single one of us right at this moment. You know that, right? It's having an impact on you. It's having an impact on your chair, my podium, your cars in the parking lot. What is that natural law? Gravity. The natural law of gravity. It's a natural law. However, there is another law. It's called the law of aerodynamics. And the law of aerodynamics can supersede the natural law of gravity. What is the law of aerodynamics? Well, I tried to find a a nice slide to show you, but all all the symbols and formulas, I couldn't figure them out. So, All I know is that I can be driving through a river valley and I can see this eagle just soaring. And their wings wings don't even move. They're just soaring. The, The law of aerodynamics, the air going over its wings, catching the draft under its wings. We got, a, we got a bunch of our people right now in an airplane. Gravity is not holding them down. The law of aerodynamics has superseded the law of gravity, and they're flying from Oaxaca to Houston to Minneapolis. Natural laws. And it's interesting, when the law of aerodynamics takes over in our life, if we are in a place where that can happen, like in an airplane, it totally changes your perspective that you're able to see with your natural eyes. I mean, can you imagine, you know, you, you, you go a little bit different down here, but even here, our, our vision's limited, but, you know, you go up into the woods in, say, northern Minnesota, and you look around. You see the law of gravity in, in place. It's kind of dominating everything. And you look around, and all you see is wherever there's not trees, that's all you see. Now you get in an airplane and you fly over that same spot, your perspective changes completely. You have all of a sudden vision for all these things that were just a little ways away from you, but before the law of aerodynamics superseded the law of gravity, you couldn't see it. Well, just as there are laws in the natural, there are laws in the spiritual. Spiritual laws. And spiritual laws are greater than the physical laws of our universe. The spiritual laws supersede the natural. And guess what? When you participate in the spiritual laws, just like when aerodynamics supersedes gravity, when you participate in the spiritual laws, all of a sudden your perspective changes completely. The spiritual laws don't make sense to the natural mind because they go against what we know in the natural. For example, the first, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Huh? Makes no sense. The least among you will be the greatest. Makes no sense. I have been born again. 
That makes no sense. For something to live and bear great fruit, it must first die. Really doesn't make sense. We see it in the natural, but it's a spiritual law that's manifesting in the natural. When we participate in these spiritual laws, things are different. And they be- I believe there are spiritual laws, spiritual principles in the area of finances that make no sense in the natural. For example, 90% will go way further than 100 Give your 10% and the 90 will more than meet your needs. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, take something. What do you do with that? The more you sow, the more you will reap. Matter of fact, as you sow, thus shall you reap. You mean if I give stuff away, there will be enough when there isn't already enough in my life? Natural laws. Solomon is teaching his son in Proverbs some of these spiritual laws in the verses that we just read. Look at them again. Notice some of the words first. In verse 6, it says, In all your ways acknowledge him. All your ways acknowledge him. You'll notice he, he, he gives kind of a petition to his son, this is what you do, and then over here, the next, it follows with the provision. To get the provision, you've got to do what the petition says. In verse 9, he says, Order the Lord with your, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crop. There's the petition. Honor him with your wealth. And that can look like so many different things. How do I honor him? And when I do that, the provision will come into play. Honor him with the first fruits. And in verse 5, the words that stuck out, Trust in the Lord. Not in your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. And if you look at all of those, to the natural mind, the unrenewed mind, they seem foolishness. They seem foolishness. Why would I do that? What's the point? When you look at the verses 5, 7, and 9, we see the petition 6, 8, and 10. Here come the provision. But they require us to fulfill the petition to receive the provision. As we honor the Lord with our wealth, some of your translations say substance. Some of yours may have a different word there. But as we honor Him, the greater provision comes. So I look at what Solomon wrote in those first three verses and I see at least three things that we can observe from his teaching that, are, that really make, or at least make up, why giving is a form of worship. One, we acknowledge God. It's all His. Have you ever heard that before? Quietest sermons ever whenever you speak about giving. It's all His. Amen? Or is it all yours? It's all his or it's all yours? Which is it? It's all his. Right. It's all his. That's the first thing that needs to settle in and acknowledge God. Thank you, God, for everything. Everything. 
It's all His. And it honors God. It honors God. It honors Him. It it shows that, that He is above all things, that He will promise and be faithful to His promises. He will provide. He is worthy of our honor. And then it shows that we trust Him. We trust Him. You've heard this said probably by every message ever spoken about finances or giving that there's a very good measuring stick or tape measure or barometer or whatever you like to measure with of how much we trust God. It's called a checkbook. If you don't have one of those, it's your debit card balance. And where does it go? Where does it go? You know, we can get so sucked into our culture that we spend money so frivolously, frivolously, however you say that word, foolishly. I mean, I just heard yesterday on the radio that the average ticket price for the Super Bowl is $5,000. That's the average. Some of them are going to the mid-20s for a ticket to a football game that I would have charged way less for them to come to my house. Five million dollars for a 30-second commercial. That one really disturbs me. Because that tells me how stupid they know we are. That they're going to put a 30-second ad on there to make me go buy Doritos and a Budweiser. (laughs) And cry because I think of the horse. (laughs) What's wrong with us? Seriously, it's funny. I'm going to watch the game. I laugh at the commercials. They're usually better than the game. But it's such a a condemnation on our culture when you think about this. I mean, people have been planning for a football game that's going to be on TV for weeks. Some of us in here have been planning for that football, and, I, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. Don't get me wrong. I, party, fellowship, watch the game, that's great. But it is such an example of where our priorities are as a nation and how easily we can get sucked into that in so many ways. In verse 9, it said, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, my message this morning isn't about first fruits necessarily, and it isn't about tithing necessarily. And first fruits and tithing are not the same thing, although they often get taught that they are the same thing. They are different. But notice here it says first fruits. And I want to make clear there is no command, clear command in in the New Testament that you are supposed to observe first fruits, and there is no direct command that says you are supposed to tithe. So I'm certainly not here to contradict Scripture. But I believe there are financial laws, principles laid out. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's telling, Solomon's telling his son, and I believe the Lord's telling all of us, this is how you should live to honor me. I do want to talk a little bit about what first fruits are. And I'm going to do that in the, under the area of acknowledging God in our giving. First fruits. 
I'm going to read a few verses. I think they're going to be up there. You may not be able to read them all. But in Deuteronomy 26, it's talking about first fruits. And first fruits actually shows up in the Bible way back in Exodus. But in Deuteronomy, it lays it out kind of clear, and I'm going to read starting in verse 1. Then it shall be when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, and you possess it and live in it. So what's happened? Where we're, the exodus is occurring, they're, they're going to be going into uh, the promised land. Matter of fact, if you read the end of verses, the last few verses of uh, chapter 25, He's telling them about these Amalekites, and you may not know that, but when they were, they were marching and getting set free, the Amalekites were these people that were kind of like a little dog nipping at their tail, constantly attacking them from behind. And he tells them, you're going to forget all about them. You're going to forget all about them. And when you do, and then it says, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you shall bring in from the land that the Lord your God gives you. You shall put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. In other words, where you're supposed to go and worship. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time, and you'll say to him, I declare this day to the Lord my God that I have entered the land which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. And then the priest shall take the basket from your hand, and you'll set it down on the altar before the Lord. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down to Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, but there he became great, mighty, and populous nation speaking about why they were slaves in Egypt. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us and opposed hard labor on us. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voices and saw our affliction, saw our toil, saw our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror and with signs and wonders. And he brought us to this place and he's given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first of the produce of the ground, which thou, O Lord, hast given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you and the Levite and the alien who is among you shall rejoice in all the good which the Lord your God has given you. This was the first fruits, which became one of the seven feasts of Israel, the feast of first fruits. And I want you to just notice, I believe even though we're not commanded to do this, I believe there's some things we need to glean from it in the area of our own giving to the Lord. The people, first of all, are celebrating their deliverance from Egypt. He says, celebrate this, your deliverance from Egypt, your deliverance from bondage, your deliverance from slavery. And you're going to acknowledge me as your deliverer, the one who set you free, just as those of us that were in bondage to sin and death. And we have been set free by Christ, His death and resurrection. We have been set free. We are in a promised land and headed towards the promised land. And He says to them, deliverance, rejoice, give thanks. Also you see the dependence on God, for it is God who gave them the promised land. Give of the first fruits because without me there'd be no fruit. None. Recognize that it's all His and we're totally dependent on Him. 
we can get so self-sufficient in our own minds, wrapped up in our own brains and intelligence and skill sets and jobs and all that stuff and think we don't need God. It's a matter of fact, it's ours. I earned it. More than one of you in here have had a job snatched away just like that. Where does your security go if it's all about you? It's all about God. And that's what he's saying. You're going to have this feast of first fruits. You're going to bring the first fruits to show and celebrate your deliverance, that I am your deliverer, that your dependence is totally upon me. And then he says, we're going to worship and rejoice. Their giving was an act of worship and rejoicing. You know, in the New Testament, it tells us we are supposed to be cheerful givers. We're not to give out of compulsion or because some preacher is telling you to fill her up. No, we are to give out of cheerful hearts, hearts filled with thanksgiving, because we know and recognize He is our Deliverer. He has set us free. Everything we have in life belongs to Him. We are totally dependent on Him, and we are going to worship Him with our generosity. That's what it's about, worshiping Him. The first fruits were the choicest fruits. The first fruits, really, we say fruits. It wasn't fruit. In all likelihood, it was barley. The barley crop that time of year would have been just starting to set the kernels of grain in the barley. And it almost gives this wonderful picture of the first fruit where they're, they're watching, checking on the crop, waiting, anticipating, believing and knowing that the Lord is going to bless them with a crop, with the harvest. It all belongs to Him. And he's going to meet our needs for food through this crop. We've, we've, we've sown it. We've done what he wants us to do. But he's going to make it grow. And when the first ones come, the first crop, the very first harvest is the first fruits. And they go and they take the first fruits of the harvest. And then they take it and give it to the priest. What does a first fruits mean? Well, it means, one, you're acknowledging God, our owner of everything we've got. And you're not giving him your leftovers. You know, there was at least three things that took place when they planted a field and we were going to harvest it. One, they harvested the first fruits and put that and gave it to the Lord. Then they would harvest the remainder of the field. And then they would leave whatever fell and it would be gleaned by the poor, the hungry, the widows. But the first fruits came first. It was the best that they had to offer. Your gift wasn't an afterthought. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot. I got a 20 and a 5 and a 1. Goodbye one. No. It's not an afterthought. It's the very best that we have to give. As we have predetermined We've thought about it. It's an act of worship. And we respond. It's something that we planned. You know, in the Old Testament, 10% belonged to God. And the rest was theirs. Doesn't sound like too bad a deal. In the New Testament, it's all His. It's all His. If you believe in practicing tithing, That means we give him 10% through the local church, which I believe is the best place to do it. The storehouse, if you would. And then guess what? The other 90% isn't yours. 
It's yours to manage. It's to be a good steward. You can read through the Scripture all over the place about being good stewards and what you should do with the 90% that the Lord allows you to manage for Him. You know, the Old Testament, the tithe wasn't only 10%. That was the first tithe. Then there was another tithe, and then there was a third, and then there was an offering. You know, as people say, well, I'm being legalistic if you talk about giving 10%. Shoot, if we're going to be legalistic, you should be given 30%, and then you should give above and beyond that your alms and offerings. Aren't you glad we're New Testament? It's all His. It's all His. Acknowledging Him. We honor God with our giving. How many of you have ever heard of Jimmy Stewart? Jeez, I feel old again. Come on. Somebody. Any of you young people watch the old movies? All right. How many of you that know who Jimmy Stewart is remember the movie Shenandoah? Okay, great. One of those old movies, you know, coming out into the West, the prairie. Well, it started out so spiritual. I'm going to just show you the 22-second clip. I'm glad we can laugh. Is that honoring God? No. As a matter of fact, it's kind of like slapping him in the face. It's almost blasphemous. <laughs> we plowed the field, we planted the field, we harvested the crop, we cooked it, put it on the table, and it wouldn't be here if it weren't for all my hard work. But I'm going to say thanks anyway. Here's a bone. How does your giving compare to that? Think about that for a second. God, I go to work and I work so doggone hard for that paycheck. I deserve to have a brand new car, a big house, a fancy flat screen TV, cables, cell phones. I deserve to have all that stuff. I deserve to go out and eat two, three times a week. I deserve all that. It's mine. Oh yeah, Lord, it's Sunday. I got to get a 20. No, a 10. Think about it. Think about it. If we believe that it's all His. Well, I listened to that little prayer. I just laughed and it just then I got, yeah. I used to like Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> but so often that's how we live our life in the area of generosity and our giving. We throw a bone. When the Jews, as I started to say earlier, when the Jews were preparing for the feast of first fruits, it wasn't an accidental thing and one day, oh yeah, we got to go do this. It was taking care of their crop, watching their crop, doing whatever they could to prosper the crop. Why? Because it was God's crop. And they waited, and as soon as they saw the, the first fruits, they didn't wait till it was in full bloom and take some of the poorest ones and a few of the, let's, let's make a sheath of, of the poorest barley here because the rest really looks good. No, they waited and they took the best of the best and they brought that. And when they did this, they brought this sheath and they brought it to the priest at the temple. I mean, it was, it was a production. And they took it to the temple and they presented it to the priest and then the priest would take it and he'd wave it before the Lord. Quite the picture of honoring God. Dr. Scott Caudill wrote and made this observation 
about the first fruits. And I like the way he said this. It's as if they were saying this. God, you are so good. God, you are so great. Before we take any of this barley for ourselves, we want to first of all give it to you. Oh Lord, we're not going to give you our second best. Lord, we're not going to give you what is left over. No, we're going to give you our first fruits. Only the best is good enough for our great and wonderful God. This is how the Israelites honored God in their giving. And that was under the law. And the law wasn't all that sweet, guys. And in the New Testament, we say, well, that was law, Mike. You're talking law. Leave that, that whole Malachi thing about robbing God. Leave that alone. That's all Old Testament stuff too. But you've got to remember, under the Old Covenant, the New Covenant is bigger and better. When Jesus talked about those things under the law, He said, you don't, I didn't come to abolish it. Matter of fact, not one jot or tittle of the law is going to pass away till everything is accomplished. Well, we don't need the ceremonial religious stuff anymore. That's gone. Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient. But the moral law was condensed down into love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. It all belongs to you, God. How can I honor you? In the New Testament, he took it further. You know, don't, don't, don't commit adultery. That's what I used to say. Now I say, even if you think about a woman in a bad way, you have committed adultery. Don't commit murder, Old Testament. Gee, in the New Testament, it says, if you've even said harsh things to your brother, you said, raka, loser, jerk. It's like committing murder. If 10% was the standard in the Old Testament, I would guess that that should be a nice starting place for the New Covenant. But out of a grateful heart, not under compulsion as the Lord would provoke you to give. The Israelites were honoring God in their giving, and so should we. And the third thing I want to come back to is the demonstration of trust or faith in God. If you're a Christian, you've trusted God and His Word for your salvation. You've put your faith, confidence, and trust. As Bob was talking about in adult Sunday school, this faith thing, it's amazing. We have put our faith, trust, and confidence in God. When he said somebody had to die, Jesus died in my place. If I accept that gift on my behalf, I am therefore saved. I'm a born-again Christian. I surrender my life to him. We trust him for our salvation. Can we, do we trust him for our provision? Do we have the faith to show him that we trust him, to honor him, acknowledge him? in the area of our giving. And again, today I am focusing on finances, but in our giving of our time, our effort. You know, it's, and I get this, boy, I, I use the same line. I'd love to, but I'm too busy. Let me check my calendar. Whoops, sorry, it's full. I can't. And then we look at what's filled my calendar and your calendar. You want to make sure nobody comes to church? Call a, call, call a prayer meeting. It's worse than being the Maytag repairman. For you young people, I know you don't get that. What comes before that? Anything and everything. And I'm not saying we need to be at everything and every time the door is open. No, that's not it at all. I'm just saying we need to check our lives, our times, talents, and treasures and how we handle them with the Lord.
In Matthew 6, verse 33, it says this. And to give you a little context, Jesus has just been teaching. Guess what he's been teaching about? Money. And then he goes on and he leaves the money thing and he's talking about money and how you can't serve two masters. You're going to love the one and hate the other. He goes through that teaching and then he swifts gears about it right there and then he starts talking about worry and anxiety. Why do you worry? Why are you so anxious? You're so anxious about everything. Come on, think about it. I take care of the birds, etc., etc. And then he says this, but continually seek first his kingdom, my kingdom, and his righteousness. And all these things shall be provided for you. There it is again, the petition and the provision. You don't need to be living a life of fear, worry, and anxiety, oppression. Just think about how much of your worry, fear, and anxiety, and depression, and oppression, divorces, etc., come from financial issues. I, I, I love to have people come to talk to me about their finances. I get the practical, I understand the, we need to set a budget and all that stuff. But it's always good to say, what are, you, what are you giving to the Lord? Maybe that's the first thing that needs to be put in order so that your barns can be full and your vats overflow with new wine. Proverbs 3, five again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 3.10 Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will be brim over with new wine. Now it's not saying that you're going to be filthy rich. A barn overflowing tells you I've got all that I need and there's some to give away. Vats overflowing with new wine. That means I've got all I need and I've got more to give away. I can't forget, I've used this quote and I didn't write it down because I've used it so many times, but I think it was Wesley, one of the Wesley brothers. Earn all you can, save all you can, give it all away. All, give away all you can. We are to be good stewards of our time. We're to work as unto the Lord. We need to, to look at the ant as an example. It says, look to the ant, you sluggard. We need to prepare during good times for bad times. But we also need to have generous hearts. And follow those spiritual principles and spiritual laws that pertain to finances. In Ephesians 3.20 it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. God basically says throughout scripture, here's my promises, here's what's required, try it, prove me wrong. And he literally says that in the Old Testament in Malachi when it comes to tithing for Old Testament Israel. He tells them, test me in this and see that I won't. Luke 8, or Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now there's some of these scriptures that I've heard on televangelists that I almost hear them and I almost, yuck. But the reality is they're still scriptures. And when they're used properly and in context, they're great. It's simply telling us, you know what? How you measure will be measured back to you. It's not a get-to-give scheme. If you hear me or anybody else telling you that, they're in error. I would be in error. 
It's all about the attitude of our heart. I want to bless him. The more I bless him, he'll bless me. But that's not the reason I do it. It's not the reason. That's a recipe to make it not work. And so many people have fallen into that trap and they've got so taken by spiritual charlatans in this area of give to get, disguised at all kinds of stuff that we've all become so sour to it. The only reason you can sit in here today and be warm and have lights on is because of your generosity. The only reason we can support ministries like Nightlight and all these other ministries is because of the generosity of the church. The vision that we see the Lord leading us towards of expansion, it's all going to take finances that have to come from the generosity of the body. And we don't want to have to ever get into one of those situations where we're browbeating everybody. That, that's not God. He will provide as we respond by faith. 2 Corinthians 9.6, last scripture. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Listen to the next verse. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, nor under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for all food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Harvest of your righteousness. Somehow or other, our our generosity, our giving, given, giving is connected in the spirit to growing even in righteousness. So when we begin to understand God's heart about giving and generosity and how he has all these blessings attached to it because he always blesses obedience. Amen? And when we are disobedient and we're not following his spiritual principles and spiritual laws, there will always be consequences. Just as when our kids don't follow those not-so-spiritual laws we might have. There are consequences. Spiritual laws supersede natural laws. And I just want to encourage you. Allow the Holy Spirit to search your own heart. Are we giving the Lord the best that we have in the area of finances, in the area of our worship, in the area of the way we work at our jobs? Are we giving the best that we have or are we just sliding by? Doing as little as possible at work that we can get by with. Worshiping God kind of like a robot. And giving God the leftovers if we give him anything. He really wants the whole apple, not just the core. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I do thank you for the word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would help each of us to understand it clearly. God, if there is anything that I have shared that is contrary to the clarity of your word, I pray, God, that it would be harmless, fall to the ground. But, Lord, I pray that you would really speak to our hearts in the area of our finances. 
God, your promises of prospering us and meeting all our needs as we acknowledge you, honor you, and trust you are so clear. I thank you for the blessings, the abundance that you have poured out in this church, in this body. Father, you've allowed us to be part of doing so many things to increase your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that the, the abundance will increase. Father, that we would have a far-reaching effect through our missions and local ministries and, and the raising up of disciples. And we praise you, Lord, that when you give us the vision, you will provide all the provision. So, Lord, I pray that no one would here, here would feel condemnation or guilt or shame, but, Lord, that you would just convict us in our hearts that we might truly be those who give with a generous spirit and with a heart filled with gladness. I ask this in your name. Amen.